Well, good morning to each of you. It's good to see you again. Aren't we at a beautiful time of the year? Yesterday was such a beautiful day for whatever activity you were involved in. It's good to, for us to be together on this first day of the week. And for those you are visiting this morning, I hope you feel welcome and at home. I hope that the message this morning can um, be an encouraging one for us. Um, this morning I'm speaking on uh, a subject that we've not addressed here perhaps in some time. I invite you to open your Bible this morning to Romans chapter 14. We have been doing a series the last couple months on examining biblical truth and then applying it. And this morning I want to turn our attention to a bit of a different subject. The title I've chosen this morning is Glorifying God with Disputable Matters. You know, there are some things as followers of Christ that we are faced with that the Bible does not speak specifically to. And so this morning, I hope that from the outset, and I'll try to remind you as we go through, that you understand there's a difference between disputable matters and matters that the Scripture speaks to. But there are disputable matters. There are matters that the Bible does not give clear direction to. How are we to glorify God in those things? That's what we want to look at this morning. Now this morning's message presents me two sizable challenges. The one is, because of the sizable text I'm going to use, um, it's a challenge with the clock. But the second challenge is, how do I take a subject that was written to the Roman church near 2,000 years ago and help us get practical instruction from that today? Because relationships among believers is just as challenging today as it ever has been. I have never known a time in my life when there is so much faction and distrust and division among the body of Christ. And much of that is not a product of us seeking to follow the Lord. It's a product of hurt feelings, wanting everyone to do things exactly the way we do them, um, things that the Romans were struggling with. So I want to read this morning um, Romans 14, and chapter 15, the first 13 verses. Now this is a sizable text, but I'm not just sharing this as a foundation. I want this morning for us to hear the instruction of God's Word. So I hope you have your Bible. I'm going to be using the King James Version, but if you have a different version, that's fine. But let God's Word speak to us this morning. Now, the topic that, that Paul was addressing is different than what we are today, okay? He's going to be addressing the eating of meats, whether you're a vegetarian or whether you eat meat, because much of the meat in Rome at that time in the marketplace had been offered or blessed in idol worship, okay? Um, but follow the Scripture. Allow God's Word to speak to us. It does matter how we respond to disputable things. It's not a matter of, well, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just whatever you do, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. It matters. But there's not just one way. 
So follow along as I read, and let's let God's Word be instructive to us this morning. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor any thing whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse. And he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm sure with the reading of this text this morning, you can recognize that there was tension and a spirit of divisiveness among the believers at Rome. And the setting there is different than what we would be facing today because a lot of this came out of the fact that there were Gentile believers and there were Jewish believers. And so there the Jewish believers' understanding of the Old Covenant, which was based on the law of Moses, which was represented in the written word that they had at that time, which was the Old Testament, very clearly forbade them from the eating of meat that was offered to idols. It required them to observe certain days, Sabbaths and feast days and the Passover. Whereas the Gentile believers did not have that background. They did not have the law of Moses. They did not know of feast days and and, and Sabbaths, nor were they concerned with meat offered to an idol, which was nothing. At least this morning, I'm hoping that we as a congregation, you as individual believers, whatever congregation you may represent, can embrace Paul's instruction this morning on how to deal, how to relate together, with disputable matters, matters that the scripture does not specifically speak to. Now, of course, we have to be careful this morning when we identify something as a disputable matter. For instance, I could say to you this morning, well, what about, for instance, um, abortion? Nowhere in the Bible does it mention abortion, but I think we're quite clear in our understanding that the Bible does speak against abortion. 
does identify abortion as murder, that life begins at conception. We, I could share many passages of Scripture um, that would support that. And so abortion is murder, and it's abhorrent to God. Even though the word abortion is not mentioned in Scripture, you will not find that word used. And we can look at other things of our culture today. But there are issues that the Bible doesn't address and to which we are challenged to find biblical principles and they're hard to find that will specifically address to them. So what can happen in such situations is that we end up relating to believers who are on different sides of the same issue. And therein lies the opportunity for tension. How do we glorify God when we disagree on how to honor Him? That's the question of the morning. And I'm so grateful that we have Romans 14. I'm so grateful that the Bible gives us some answers to that question, the text we looked at this morning. So in this text, Paul helps the church in Rome handle a disputable matter. And what he tells them can help us today deal with disputable matters. So I want you to turn your attention to chapter 4, uh, 14. And there are at least four things that Paul instructs the believers, and us today as believers, four ways that we need to address. And I want us to be able to look at that. As I mentioned, the culture is different today than it was back then. Um, because this was primarily came out of the Jewish versus Gentile situation. But we have different cultures as well. As I look at this congregation, we have some in this congregation, some of you this morning I know have come from Orthodox Christian background, multi-generations. There are others of you this morning who may be first or second generation believers. You do not have that history. You do not have that cultural uh, expression of Christianity and life. And so how do we bring that together when we don't find biblical principles speaking specifically to an issue? Well, in order for the church to navigate disputable issues and to preserve the unity of the church, Paul outlines some steps. And I want to challenge you, all of us, with these. The first of those I find in verse 1. Paul challenges us as believers that when it comes to disputable matters, to not pass judgment on each other. You see, since the Scripture does not offer definitive principles about meat and drink and special days, none of us should judge someone else. Why? Because motives cannot be judged. When I was a young person, I remember hearing that the most common verse of Scripture you could ask most anyone, whether they made any profession of faith in Christ or not. But if you said, uh, give me a verse of the Bible, your favorite verse. The Bible was, verse always was, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That changed in the last 25, 30 years. You know what the verse now is? Judge not that you be not judged. That's the verse of our culture, of our day, which basically means I'm okay, you're okay. That as two weeks ago when I talked about the challenge of pluralism, 
What is truth for one person has to be accepted as equal valid for someone else. And that is never supported in Scripture. There is objective truth. But judging, when Jesus said we do not judge, we cannot judge the motive of someone's heart. And that's where we go awry. We can see what someone does, but why they do it, that's where we go awry. How many times have we said, but they know better? Do they? Do they know better? Maybe sometimes they do. They did that just because of this. Was that the reason? That's where we get in trouble, judging motive. And Paul challenges not for us not in disputable matters to pass judgment on one another. You see, a believer cannot look at another believer and rightfully say, you don't love the Lord as much as I do because you respond differently to that matter. We cannot do that. And when we do that, we allow our adversary to create undue tension and strife and division. Well, the second, Paul says, believers should withdraw from doing those things that might cause another believer to stumble spiritually. Look at verse 13. Let us therefore judge one another, not ju therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. To cause our brother to act against his conscience. We find it also in verse 20. For meat, for the sake of meat, for what you eat, for that reason, do not destroy the work of God. You see, it's in our culture today, it's all about my rights. Well, I have a right to do that. You may have a legal right to do that, but in the body of Christ, you do not have a right to destroy the work of God in someone's life. Paul says, do not do that. Do not do that. We find verse 21. It's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor, nor what? Anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Our Lord and Savior modeled humility. He came from heaven. He laid aside every right he had to save you and me. And as followers of his, we are called to be willing to lay aside rights to not destroy the work of God. That's an act of humility. And we're called to do that. The third one we find in verse 19. Paul commands believers to do whatever it takes for the sake of edification and maintaining peace. Edification is not a word we use much today. Edification means to build up. To build up. To encourage. To support. Verse 19, Paul writes, Let us therefore follow after what things? The things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. So we're in a setting with other believers. We're going to be, we're planning an activity. We're going on an outing. We're doing whatever. 
And we know we're not all from the same background. We know we, there's some disputable things we differ on. We can choose for that outing to structure it and to do things that build up and promote unity and peace, or we can make it divisive. We can say, well, I'm going to do so-and-so. If you don't want to go do it, forget you. That's our human nature. That's not the nature of Christ. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Things wherewith one may edify another. And the last one we find in verse 20. Paul declares that disputable matters are too small to be allowed to divide the church and destroy the mission of the gospel. They're too small. Look at verse 20. For meat, for the sake of meat, do not destroy the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Well, there's a bit more to explain and explore in this passage. Paul says that there are two groups of people in the church at Rome. And there are two groups of people in every church. I'm convinced. In every gathering of believers, there are often two groups of people. There are the weak and there are the strong. Chapter 15, look at verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, it might be hard for us this morning to wrap our minds around what Paul means by these categories. When Paul is referring to a person who is weak of faith, he's not talking about someone who has a lesser commitment to Christ. In fact, the believer who is weak of faith may have a strong commitment to Christ may even have a stronger commitment to Christ than the person who is stronger in faith. You see, their weakness is in having less insight into how their faith impacts their decisions about disputable matters. Their weakness, I'll repeat that, their weakness is in having less insight into how their faith in Christ impacts those decisions. Their other factors may be their background, may be the way they were taught, it may be the people that they relate to. There may be other factors that are greater impacting their decision than understanding the freedom they have in Christ. In this particular dispute, Paul is saying the person who is taking a much stronger or restrictive conviction about meat is actually the person who is weak. While the person taking a less restrictive conviction is actually the person who is strong. With all of this in mind, notice what he says in verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself. But even Christ pleased not himself. Paul is saying that even Christ was willing to submit his rights. Notice chapter 14, verse 3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Why? 
for God hath received him. Paul is saying God has accepted the person who is stronger and God has accepted the person who is weaker. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that God accepts both? Because we don't want to do that. God accepts the one who eats meats, in this case, offered to idols. And God also accepts the one who does not eat meat that's offered to idols. And even more interesting, in verse 6 to 8, Paul says that both groups of people, those who cannot imagine eating meat offered to idols, and those who say, look, it doesn't matter because an idol is nothing. An idol isn't anything, so therefore it doesn't matter. Both of those can worship God doing what they do out of thanksgiving according to their conviction. Isn't that interesting? Guess what? Both groups are pleasing to God if they are operating out of their conscience and their desire to please God. You see, we often judge people thinking they can't be pleasing God. Not that way. This reality is the basis for Paul commanding believers not to pass judgment on one another over disputable matters. You see, Paul says over and over again, remember, each of us are personally accountable to God. Each of us will answer to God. Each of us will one day stand before God. Verse 12, chapter 14. So then every one of us shall give account of who? Of our brother? Of our sister? No. Each of us will give account of himself to God. So therefore, when it comes to disputable matters, judgment on that level belongs to who? To God alone. Now, a fallacy we often make is we take those who have strong conviction in area and those who, who we see that and we say, well, I don't understand that. That's not my orientation. So then we determine, well, then it doesn't matter what I do in regard to that issue. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul says. Paul does not say it doesn't matter. He says, let each one be fully persuaded in your heart, which means that you are responsible to pray about that matter, to seek God's direction, to understand that one day you will give account of how you handle that matter, and be convinced, be persuaded that this is honoring for you to do as long as you don't offend your brother. So it's not that it doesn't matter. It does matter. Now, this might be a good place to stop and remind you that there are other writings of Paul where he clearly says that there are times and places to separate from believers where truth is violated. But those times and places of scriptural truth are not over disputable matters. 
The church of Jesus Christ must never compromise on obedience to scriptural truth. For example, if a believer denies the deity of Christ, we must separate fellowship with that person. We do not have anything in common with that person. However, if a believer differs on on the tribulation period and, and, and when Christ is going to return, is he going to come at the beginning of the tribulation or mid of the tribulation, the end of the tribulation, that is not an item for us to be divisive over. That's a disputable matter. Well, finally in verse 14 of chapter 14, Paul tips his hand. And Paul says, with the inspiration of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he declares that no food is unclean in and of itself. So this whole issue of meat, there's no food that's unclean in and of itself. But then he writes in verse 17 and 18, which I think is the heart of the chapter, and doesn't this echo Jesus' teaching, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? But seek what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what we must seek first. And Paul says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So Paul says the same thing. Followers of Christ must seek first God's kingdom that is not about eating meat, but it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, with these words of Romans 14, 15 in mind, let me ask a difficult question. We're not wrestling today with meat offered to idols, are we? We don't have Gentile believers in this congregation and Jewish believers. Maybe you know some friends, some brothers and sisters who, who are saved out of a Jewish background. So what are some disputable matters in our life as a congregation or in the circles that you move in with other believers? What are some disputable matters? And how can Romans 14 and 15 help us work those issues out? Now, granted, we're not navigating a change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We're not working out tensions between Jews and Gentiles. But as I mentioned, there are tensions in every culture. I think we have our own tensions. I think there are tensions in our Christian background. I think there are tensions in our age groups. There are tensions in every generation from one generation to another. There are tensions. So, what's an example? Wow, it's already 11 o'clock. Okay, I only got time for one. <laughs> um, let me just give one and we'll walk through it, okay? What's an example of a tension today? that you probably see in about every congregation. How do we dress for church? I'm looking. I'm looking. You see, some of us believe that when you come to worship the Lord, you need to come with your best. Okay? That you're coming, you're showing honor. You're, you're preparing your heart, your mind, your body. You're, you're, you're coming to worship God. We, we were, that's our background from when we were little, okay? Others of us find it much more appropriate to come dressed casually. You know, we see that you can, God looks on the, not on the outside, right? He looks on the inside. 
And so everybody should be free to come as they are, and, and, and therefore it shows that we're welcoming to everybody, no matter how you come. And, and I hope people here have always felt welcoming. You see, the first group, believers, feel that, that, that your best that you have, whatever it is, reflects honor and respect. I mean, giving God our best. I mean, after all, if you were invited to have dinner with the president, you wouldn't show up in blue jeans. I mean, none of us would. You just wouldn't do that. If you were going to a state function, state dinner, no, you wouldn't do it. So why would you do that for church? But then others of us, the second group, believe that casual dress says it's not about the outside. That you be able to come as we are. That's the invitation always of Scripture, right? Come as you are. Don't get cleaned up first and then come. Come. Come as you are. Now, that's a disputable matter that in some church, among some believers, creates tension. Maybe you've been part of that. But it doesn't need to be so. You see, our problem surfaces when we openly or subversively demand that our response to a disputable matter must be validated by the support of others. That's where our problem gets in. It's a pride issue. Okay? So if, if I think I want to dress up for Sunday, then I can believe that if you don't dress up, that somehow then that's saying that maybe I shouldn't dress up. It's not saying that at all. Let each person be fully persuaded in his own mind. That doesn't mean that it's not... Think about. No, it is something to think about. It is something to make decision about. But we can make decisions about those things without it being divisive. You see, I'm thankful that I've not sensed that to be a problem here. Maybe it's more of a problem. Maybe people just don't talk about it. I see people very, dressing very well for Sunday. Suits, ties, dresses, like, you know, really nice. And I see other people in blue jeans and tennis shoes and barefooted and, you know. To those who believe wearing their dress views, dress clothes is more appropriate, and that's your conscience and conviction, stick with it. For those who, but don't judge someone who comes dressed casually. And for those who feel comfortable coming very casual, be fine with it. But don't judge those who dress up. You see, this bears witness that we are not going to divide over definition of appropriate dress. Nor are we going to judge one another. Let me offer one more final thought before my conclusion. I've been discussing our individual response to disputable matters. And I hope this morning you haven't heard that, well, for instance, the example I gave, and I wish I had time to do some other examples that I was going to talk about, um, that, well, dress doesn't matter. Dress matters. Last year, it's been a long time ago, I may 
do another message about dress. How should we clothe our bodies? Dress matters. Clothing matters. Okay? It's not that it doesn't matter. It means that we don't have to all do it exactly the same way. But let every man be what? Fully persuaded in his own mind. Which means you don't just wear something because someone else is wearing it. You don't go to church a certain way because someone else is going to church that way. Because you're not going to be accountable for them. You're one day going to be accountable for who? For you. For you. So as believers, it's something to study, pray about, talk with others, find what you understand and have peace with God, because that's who you're going to stand before. That you can glorify Him with. Now, that understanding should be helpful for us. Now, having said that, I think you all remember when we talked about authority and how important that is. That in your family, at your place of work, in your church, if those in authority there ask of you to dress a certain way, and it does not violate principles of Scripture, you should submit. So if you're in a family, some of you chin, chin, children, teenagers, and your mom and dad says, look, you can't go to church barefooted. And you say, well, so-and-so goes to church barefooted. I don't care. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that wearing shoes is a violation, right? So you should submit to that. Now the day will come when you will no longer be under the authority of your parents. And then you become accountable for that decision. All right? So this does not, the message is, when it comes to disputable matters, this does not in any way, in any way, contradict parents, employers, Churches from establishing guidelines. Okay? And if you're in that family, or you work at that place, or you're a part of that church, or whatever other organization, like, you need, if it doesn't violate Scripture, you need to submit to that. Okay? But it doesn't need to be divisive between you and other believers. Because someone else that works at a different place or is in a different family or is part of a different church, it doesn't mean necessarily that in that matter of disputable matters that they're wrong. You're part of a church that everybody dresses up. And then you know someone's a church that, man, we just, we're, we just, you know. That doesn't mean they're wrong. Nor does it mean you're right. You understand what I'm saying this morning? You see, I am so convinced that so many of the problems in relationships among believers are caused by things like this. And may it never be so. We must not allow our adversary to destroy us in this way. In disputable matters as well, 
Always remember this. And you've heard me say this over and over again. The why is what? Always more important, Maddie, than the what. Why you do something or don't do it is more important than what you're doing or what you're not doing. That's where we get in trouble. And Paul says, let every man be fully persuaded of why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it to be acceptable of other people? Is it to be like other people? Or this is the way you feel you can honor God. Let me close with this word of benediction. It was in our, our passage that we had this morning. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost.